Welcome, market participants, to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. Before we get into this week's episode, a quick post. I had the opportunity to sit down with Randy Schwimmer, co-head of senior lending at Churchill Asset Management, to take stock of credit markets, public and private, in a wide-ranging discussion recorded on his podcast, Private Capital Call. You can access the conversation wherever you get your podcasts. All right, then. This week, we got this from Spotify CEO Daniel Eck in describing why he was cutting an additional 1,500 jobs, the company's third round of layoffs this year. Economic growth has slowed dramatically and capital has become more expensive, he lamented, adding that Spotify is not an exception to these realities. The fact of the matter is, no one is an exception to these realities. This week, our three things are, one, tight spreads. There's a lot underpinning this view. Two, beige blues. There's a turn in the Fed's colorful book. And three, consumer leverage. There's an interesting look across income groups. We'll explain. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. Tight spreads. The market spent much of 2022 thinking about the prospect of recession and wondering when spreads would widen and by how much in anticipation of that downturn. As it turned out, all of that leftover excess savings kept the economy growing through 2023 and kept the job market tight. And that has kept spreads not only well inside recession levels, but long-term averages as well. Now, as we head into year-end and into what should be the economic growth trough of this cycle, spreads are at the tightest level since the first quarter of 2022. Does that make sense? From a fundamental standpoint, tight spreads are implying that inflation is coming under control and the cost of bringing it under control is expected to diminish without much collateral damage in relatively short order. And that suggests that defaults are also expected to remain low. And this squares up with our default view set out by Eric Rosenthal and my own economic view that this downturn is likely to be a mild one. Eric's high-yield default rate forecast for 2024 is 3.5% on a volume basis. That's a touch below the longer-term average and nowhere near the double-digit rates we've seen in past recessions. Now, given that we are heading into the economic growth trough of this cycle, where history tells us that happens after the last rate hike, investors have adopted a more defensive stance. That does not imply that investors will head to the sidelines. That suggests that their bid will skew up in quality. And that means a strong bid for investment-grade paper will endure. High yield gets a bit more interesting. Here, expectations as to the magnitude of the downturn become more interesting. And given our expectation for a manageable and mild downturn and no recession, we would expect a strong bid for double B paper, and only the riskiest part of the credit spectrum is likely to be avoided. Now, from a technical perspective, yields have not been this high since the GFC, as the policy response in the aftermath of that crisis was massive central bank easing. Now, driving those relatively high yields, of course, is the rise in the risk-free rate, which means that investors are not requiring much in the way of risk premium in order to reach attractive longer-term rates of return. That's why credit spreads as a percentage of yield are at their lowest since the GFC. For those keeping score, that's 19% today, spreads as a percentage of yield, compared to an average of 50% over the longer term and near 80% in times of stress. 
Relative value is also part of this story, with the earnings yield on stocks at historically low levels and growth and margin pressures weighing on relatively full equity valuations, laying in high-quality fixed income to your asset allocation mix is paying off. All of a sudden, the 60-40 portfolio makes sense for the first time in years. All right, on to our second thing, Beige Blues. Now, the latest version of the Beige Book, that colorfully titled Summary of Current Economic Conditions put out eight times a year by the Fed, hit our desk this past week, and there's been a change. That's not always easy to track because the report is qualitative in nature, which must drive all of those linear-thinking economists crazy. But the latest report did note that economic activity has slowed since the last report. That was in the middle of October, with only four of the Fed's 12 districts reporting modest growth. Two were flat to slightly down, while six showed slight declines. The demand for labor continued to ease. Price increases largely moderated. The outlook over the next six to 12 months, quote, diminished over the reporting period, unquote. Still, for those on the lookout for a harder landing, all of this doesn't sound that bad, but it is a change from the summer when most districts reported modest growth. Importantly, this helps to explain Q3's off-the-charts real GDP growth rate of 5.2%, which we now know was decidedly front-loaded in the quarter, meaning that most of what drove that extraordinary rate took place in July. It also squares up with the Atlanta Fed's latest GDP Now Q4 estimate, which is currently a much more reserved 1.3%. Remember, GDP Now got the Q3 estimate pretty much right, surprising the market along the way and triggering that soft and no-landing narrative that developed over the summer and into early fall. The latest beige book also squares up with the trend in Citi's Economic Surprise Index, which has fallen for the most part since its recent peak at the end of July. A glasses-half-full perspective, however, would note that in no districts has economic activity hit a wall. Rather, activity seems to reflect the long and variable lags of monetary tightening that is cooling demand, which in turn is reducing inflation and wage pressures. In other words, this is exactly the kind of report the FOMC has been waiting to receive. We would remind investors not to get too carried away that we've achieved immaculate disinflation just yet. But so far, things are falling into place as expected from the Fed's perspective. All right, on to our third thing, consumer conservatism. We came upon a chart this week from Goldman Sachs Research that showed the leverage of American households by income level. Interestingly, that leverage ratio, defined as debts to assets, is lower than it was in every income bracket. The bottom 20%, 20 to 40%, 40 to 60%, 60 to 80%, 80 to 90%, and 90 to 100%. We know that the Fed's financial obligations ratio, which is total debt service as a percentage of disposable personal income at 14.5%, is well below its long-term average of 16.1%. That has a lot to do with homeowners locking in low-cost mortgages. But we admit to being a bit surprised that even the estimated 60% of households that live paycheck to paycheck are in better financial shape today than they were prior to the pandemic. Clearly, many households use stimulus money to pay down debt, and many lower-income households were also able to finance cars at low rates prior to the Fed's more recent rate hikes. This adds to the consumer dry powder story we brought to light last week, where new estimates from the federal government 
and consistent with what Bank of America is experiencing, say excess savings remain quite material at north of $400 billion, despite estimates that it had fully run down. So while consumers are clearly tapping into borrowing capacity to maintain elevated spending lifestyles, we see that in the Fed's data, they've got some room to run and spend, which will soften the economic landing in 2024. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, tight spreads. Fundamentals and technicals support current tight levels. Two, beige blues. The slowdown is upon us. And three, consumer leverage. Reduced levels remind us of the strong starting point consumers have heading into the growth trough. As always, thanks for joining. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our ratings reports and our latest research. And don't miss my discussion with Randy Schwimmer at Churchill Asset Management on his Private Capital Call podcast. Pull that up on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. We'll see you next week. Hello, listeners. Join me, Van Hesser, KBRA's Chief Strategist for in-depth conversations with credit experts in my new monthly podcast, Leading Voices in Credit, where I'll interview market professionals on the latest trends in credit markets. That's Leading Voices in Credit with Van Hesser. Subscribe now.